Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. Hey, if you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. And I kind of want to, my message really is kind of in the context of, of what we've done today with commissioning people, laying hands on them, uh, praying for them, prophesying and anointing them. Uh, I'm going to read to you in the message version of the Bible. I, I really like the way Eugene Peterson has captured the heart of the Bible. I know it's not a transla- translation. It, it is a paraphrase. But I think he captures the heart of what Paul is trying to say in this text. And so for me this morning, for my purpose, the message version is good. Uh, Here's what he says. Get the word out. I love that. Paul says in the the King James, these things command and teach. But, But Eugene Peterson says, get the word out. Teach all these things. And don't let anyone put you down because you're young. Did you notice how many young people were on the stage? You need to understand a little bit about Jewish culture at this time. You were never recognized as mature in Jewish culture until you were 30. Okay? Now, now you started to transition into adulthood at the age of 12. That's when men had a bar mitzvah. Uh, Bar, son of, mitzvah, the law, son of the law. A bar mitzvah meant you were a son of the law. You could now read the scriptures, go to synagogue... And you are entering into adulthood, but you were not mature until you were 30. In fact, you weren't allowed to read the Song of Solomon until you were 30. Because they thought it was too erotic. Uh, And by the way, just to say this, Song of Solomon is erotic literature. And it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. You know, when, when Solomon says, I can't wait to climb your tree and grab your grapes... lay hold of your, your cluster of grapes. That is erotic language. Now, that, that might offend a few people, but I'm telling you, that's in the Bible. God uh, is not afraid of sexuality because he invented it. It's just that he wants to define the parameters in which we enjoy it. But God was the one who created that. So you, you had to be 30 because they were worried a whole group of elite teenagers were going to read Song of Solomon, and this would not be good for the community. So Jesus was 30 years of age before he began to teach. Why was that? Why did he wait till he was 30? Because he knew within the cultural context of his day, he would not have credibility. You couldn't be a rabbi until you were at least 30. But Paul, under the new covenant, understands that you don't have to wait till a particular age. And so when Paul got hold of Timothy, he was likely an old teenager, around about 19 or 20 years of age. That's what most scholars believe, that he was a real young man. And Paul took him and he saw the gift of God on his life. And what I want to say to you is, the important thing here is that you see the gift of God that's on their life. Now, now maybe some of them need to grow in maturity more, but as a church, we can help that process. And, and the danger is that just because we see something on a person, we put them down. Paul says, let no one despise your youth. In other words, if people start to put you down, don't take it to heart. Don't let it go in your heart. And what, do you, what, what do you know? You, you know? You're 20. You've never lived. 
And I remember when I used to have arguments with my father, you know, it was always his trump card, always his trump card. What do you know? What do you know? How old are you? What do you know? And it was like, Dad, if you're going to keep playing that card, you're going to kill the conversation. Let me have my own argument. Let me have my own perspective. Because if I'm going to have to wait 20 years before I can have a meaningful conversation with you, just because you keep playing that card, that is very unhelpful for our relationship. And my father you know, he was like, well, you don't know anything. And I goes, well, I, I know a few things. I know what I like and what I don't like. <laughs> I don't have to wait 20 years to discover that. And I think sometimes as older people, you know, we can play that card in an unhelpful way and it can shut young people down. But if you're a young person and people are playing that card to you, here's what I want to say to you. Don't take it in. Don't take it in. Don't let that affect you and shut you down. If you feel like God has given you something to say, then you need to be bold to say it. And that's what Paul is saying here. Don't let anyone put you down because you're young. If you're in this room, if you're young, God can put something in your heart. He can put conviction in your heart. He can put compassion in your heart. He can put all kinds of things in your heart, and he wants you to walk that out. And then in 20 years, you'll be able to say, God started this in my 20s. Now, listen, I'm in my 60s now. I know that's hard to believe. I'm in my 60s now. But I started ministry when I was 24. I started doing Bible studies. I started ministry. I started teaching in a Bible college by the time I was 26. People opened doors of opportunity to me because they saw it was on my life. Now, now I can play that card when I want to. But I'm just careful when I do, you know. I was talking to somebody the other day and I just said, you know, here's the difference between you and me. You're 38 and I'm 63. And I've been where you are and I've walked through what you've walked through. And I can tell you now, as an older man, what you need to do in order to get through this. I can advise you here, if, if you can listen. If you can listen. Now, if you can't, that's okay. I was your age once. I was, I was stubborn like you once. I, I don't have to win an argument here, because you'll end up wrestling with the Lord, and I know who's going to win. But, but age helps. Age helps. But you don't have to wait till you're 60 before you start. Start youthful. Start young. Begin young. That's what Paul did here. Teach believers with your life by word, by demeanor, by love, by faith, by integrity. Stay at your post reading scripture, giving counsel, teaching, and that special gift of ministry you were given when the leaders of the church laid hands on you and prayed. That's the elders. Keep that dusted off and in use. Okay, let me just highlight four things here in this. Here's the first thing. It's about the word. Teach all these things. Teach believers. Um, keep, uh, as Paul says, these things command and teach. It's always about the word. Because the word of God is the only thing that is able to transform a person's life. Listen, we can be truth tellers. But at the end of the day, it's only the truth that goes into your heart that will change you. Jesus said, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. But it's, it's the truth that you know that sets you free, not the truth that you hear. People hear the truth all the time. But until it finds good soil, until it enters your heart, it has no power to change you. That's why people can listen to a message about Jesus and his love and his forgiveness. 
And still, they could walk out and say, well, I heard it, but it didn't touch me. Or I don't believe it, or whatever. It's the truth that you know in your heart. That's the truth that has the power to change you. And so it's all about what is your response going to be in your heart. But the word of God has power to change us if we let it in. That's why Paul said to the Corinthians, open your hearts. If you open your heart, the word has power to change you. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's what the word of God is able to do. I'm reading it in the King James Version. The, the NLT version is good. The word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joints and marrow. It exposes your innermost thoughts and desires. It exposes your innermost thoughts and desires. Listen, you can prove you're right in a court of law and be wrong in the court of heaven because in a court of law, it's only concerned about facts. In the court of heaven, it's concerned about motives. So in a court of law... You can establish what the facts are, but God wants to know what were the motives, what were the thoughts, what were the intentions of the heart. You see, the word of God goes deeper. And so I want to say to you, it's really, it's all about the word. Come on, we want the word to be magnified. It says in the scriptures, God has magnified his word above all of his name, so that God is even under the authority of his own word. So when God speaks a promise, you know what? He he comes under the authority of the promise he has spoken. In other words, he has to fulfill what he said. Because he's, he's magnified, he's exalted his word above his name. Well, his name is the ultimate authority. But once his name speaks a word, that word becomes the ultimate authority. Do you get that? So God is true to fulfill his word in your life. What word have you received from God? What, what promise are you holding on to? What has God has spoken to you that is still yet not fulfilled, but you're hanging on? I remember when God spoke to me that my parents would come to faith. My mother was a Catholic. My father didn't really know what he believed. He just was a, I'd call him a God-fearer, and that was enough for him. He acknowledged that God was there, and he didn't want to go to church, and he didn't want to do any of that other stuff. And I just had a promise from God your folks will come to faith. Well, my stubborn old dad was 84 when he finally got there. It took over 20 years. It took over 20 years. And and you know what? When I first came to him and told him about my faith in Jesus, he thought this is a passing fad, and his expression was, we'll see. We'll see. And then after 20 years of following Jesus, he saw. He saw our kids. He saw our marriage. He saw what was going on. And he thought, you know, that looks pretty good. He saw consistency. And he softened. Of course, my mother was the first one to soften because, you know, just mums are like that. I remember when she came to faith in Jesus. But, but God was true to his promise. And then God called me on the mission field. I went to Denmark. I was, I was moving away from my parents. And they were old at the time. I was in my, uh, I was 43 years of age when I moved to Denmark with my family. And I said, Lord, you know, my parents are old. Would you just make it possible if they ever are going to die or pass, I want to be there at the end. I want to be there for my mother. I want to be there for my father. And I just made it a heart cry to the Lord. Please make that possible. I remember when I got a phone call about my mother being ill and, and flew back 
to the UK. And I was there right at the end when she finally passed. I was, I was holding her hand. My father was there. My brother was there. His wife was there. My mother was just lying in a bed and just breathing very shallow. And I remember taking hold of her hand. I said, Mum, you have been such a great mother to John and I. We're all here. We love you deeply. But you don't have to struggle anymore. It's okay to let go. Jesus is ready to take you. She breathed one final breath when I said those words. And then she went. And God fulfilled his promise. And I was there at the end. Do you know sometimes people need permission to leave? I've been at six deathbeds in my life, my lifetime. Sometimes people hold on because you want them to stay. And sometimes you have to let them go and you have to give them permission to leave. I did that with my, with my father. The same thing happened. He, he had an operation. It was all very successful, going well. And then my brother said, oh, he's turning. And my wife said, this is it. She prophetically said, Peter, this is it. Jump on a plane. I organized a plane that day. I drove straight from the airport. Or I got a train from the airport. I went to the hospital. I was with my father for an hour. We spoke for an hour. I then jumped on another train and went to see my brother. And then we, an hour later, we went back to the hospital. And an hour later, he died. With my brother and I there. In his presence. You know, just the goodness of the Lord. It was... You know, it was tragic, it was grieving, it was all of those things. But just, you know, I said, Lord, would you please do that? I'll, I'll go anywhere you want me to go in the world. I'll serve you anywhere. But I'm just asking, would you just let me know when it's the end? Just let me know so that I can be there. And God was true to his word. Listen, whatever promise is yet unfulfilled in your life, don't let it go. Because God's word, Jesus said these words. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Do you realize that God's word is more enduring than the universe that we're currently part of? Think of that unit. If you understand anything about astrophysics and how vast the universe is, if you understand anything about that, and Jesus is saying, listen, that may pass away, but my words will never pass away. His words have an enduring quality. Once they are spoken and once they are released, they just keep hovering. The word of God just keeps hovering until it finds the good soil of a heart that has faith. And then the word of God will go in like a seed and it'll bear fruit. It's all about God's word. Come on, what promises are you holding on to for this church? I'm holding on to promises for this church. Despite the, the, the different stuff we've been through, I'm holding on to promises. Come on, don't let them go. Here's the second thing. It's not just about the word. It's about your life. It's about your life. I like what Paul says to Timothy. I hope every ministry head, every person who carries any responsibility hears this. It says this, teach believers with your life. <laughs> teach believers with your life. How many of you know the only way to lead is by example? Have you got that yet? Like, I remember my father who used to smoke. I remember one time, you know, my father, I lit up a cigarette in front of my father. It was kind of one of those rebellious 14-year-old things that I did. I just wanted to see his reaction. I lit up a cigarette, you know, in front of my dad. I was 14 years of age. And he goes, what are you doing? And I, I said, I'm having a cigarette. Do you want one? <laughs> he used to smoke 60 a day. So he said, you shouldn't smoke. 
And I said, you do. And he turned around and he said, do what I say, don't do what I do. Now, how many of you know, to a 14-year-old, that is a red rag to a bull? <laughs> how many of you know that philosophy of life is never going to work in any age, in any generation? Do what I say, not what I do. That is just an invitation to a 14-year-old to tell you to go stick it. And if he doesn't have the courage to say it, he's thinking it. Well, I never did that again in front of my father, I promise you that. But the only way to lead is by example. Teach believers with your life. If you want to convince somebody that something is real in your life, live it out. If you have a calling that you believe is on your life, live it out. Don't try and convince people. I, 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 you know, sometimes I get begging letters. I get this all the time. I get begging letters from pastors. I've got this ministry. I've got this calling. Can you finance me so that I can be released into it? No. No, I won't. You've got a calling. You fulfill the calling. You trust God. You have faith. You do what me and every other guy has done in the past. Believe God. Stop writing these, you know, begging letters. I get so fed up with that in the, in the Christian world. You know, just these, oh, we got this ministry, we got this, and then right at the end, and if you'd like to support it. You know, you know the whole letter was written for that last paragraph. It's like, oh, goodness me, I'd love to cut all of that stuff out of Christendom. Come on, let's believe God to be our supplier. Live your life by the convictions you have, by the calling you have, by the gift that you have. You, see, you know, it says in the book of Proverbs, do you see a man who's good at what he does? He'll stand before kings and not before ordinary people. Because when you're good at what you do, people want you. Do you get it? When you're good at what you do, people want you. If you're a great carpenter, people want you to build things for them. If you're a great jewel maker, people want to buy your rings. Whatever it is you're good at. If you're a great hairdresser, people want to go and get their hair done by you. How many of you know what I'm talking about, ladies? Hey, a great hairdresser is hard to find. Come on now. Got five daughters. I know about this stuff. How do you teach believers with your life? By word, by your demeanor, by your love, by your faith, by your integrity. All these things speak loudest. And so when you speak, your life is backing up your word. There's nothing worse than having a word and then a life that doesn't back it. So Paul says to Timothy, come on, you're going to be teaching publicly, you're going to be sharing with people, but let your life speak to people. I know you're young, don't let them put you down, here by word, by demeanour. By the, by, by the way, demeanour, I heard a very funny story. Um, it, it was told to me by a, a very famous guy, if I said his name, everyone in the room would know him. So he's a preacher, he's a prophet, uh, he writes books, and uh, one day he was... Uh, he was having an argument with his wife. And there was another pr prophet who was, who was living miles away. The other prophet was Paul Cain, if any of you have, have ever heard of Paul Cain. So, 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 so this prophet had this argument with his wife, and then this prophet was driving there, and the Lord told him, he said, oh, so-and-so's just had an argument with his wife. He said, oh, Lord, can I, can I listen in? And, and so the Lord said, okay. 
And so the Lord let him listen in on the argument. So here's this prophet, Paul Kay, and he's driving and, and he's listening to this entire argument between this guy, this prophet guy, this well-known preacher, and his wife. And then he finally got to the house and this, this, this guy came out of the house and was walking towards Paul. And uh, Paul looked at him and he said, you know, I couldn't help overhearing your argument. How many of you know when a prophet looks at you and says that, you know you're in trouble? And he, and he said, he said, you did? He said, yeah, the Lord let me listen in. And he goes, it's all a question of demeanor. And he goes, well, what do you mean? He said, well, the longer you spoke, the meaner you got. Some of you are still working that out. Demeanor is the way you carry yourself. Demeanor is all about the way you connect and relate to people. What's your demeanor? Is it one of pride and I know and you should listen to me? Or is it one of humility and I'm here to serve, I'm here to help? What would you like me to do? That's what I love about Jesus. His whole demeanor was one of a servant heart. That's what he communicated to people. So Paul says, by word, by demeanor, by love by faith, by integrity. All of these things help to build. Here's the third thing. It's not just about the word. It's not just about your life. It's about your focus. Paul says here, stay at your post reading scripture, giving counsel and teaching. You know, when you're involved in ministry, you've got to be focused on the thing God has called you to do. When Nehemiah was building the walls of Jerusalem, everybody had a section of the wall to build. And then, and then next to him, there was another family, and they were building a section of the wall. And next to them were another family. Every single one of us carries a certain responsibility for the things that God has given us to do. And it's really important that you focus on the bit that God has called you to do. Do you remember Peter in the end of John 21 when he turned around to Jesus? Jesus had prophesied how he was going to die. And he turned around and he said, well, what about this man? You know, what about John? What's, how, in other words, this, the, the subtext was, how's he going to die? <laughs> and Jesus turned around and said, well, if I want him to live till I come, what's that got to do with you? Follow me. And sometimes we can get so occupied with what God is doing in someone else's ministry, we lose focus on what God wants us to do in our ministry. And I want to say to you as a church, come on, whatever God has given you to do, put your hand to the plow, be focused and fulfill your ministry. Colossians 4, Paul writes to Archippus, he says, and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry you've received from the Lord, that you fulfill it. Come on, you, only you can fulfill the ministry God has given you. Here's the fourth and final thing. It's about the Word, it's about your life, it's about your focus, but finally, it's about your gift. Paul says this, and that special gift of ministry you were given when the leaders of the church laid hands on you and prayed, keep that dusted off and in use. Come on, keep it dusted off and in use. Every single one of us has been given a gift. Every single one of us has been given ability. And the danger is in process of time, the gift starts to be put to one side. We don't actively use it. When Paul writes in 2 Timothy to Timothy, he says, you need to stir up the gift of God is in you. I like the way Eugene Peterson says it, dust it off. 
Come on, you ever had something that's, that's just been on the shelf for a week and gathered a bit of dust? Have you ever seen that? Come on, whatever your gift is here in this church, dust it off. Dust it off. If you know you're a singer, come on to worship practice on a Wednesday night. That doesn't necessarily mean you'll be on stage straight away, but it means you can start to build a relationship and you can start to sing. Listen, if you're a tech geek, I know a whole group of guys out the back who'd love to meet you. They'd love to talk to you about hertz and megabytes and all kinds of things like that. If you're somebody who loves hospitality and loves blessing people, come on, there's a team here who would love for you to serve on that. The doors are open and every single one of you is carrying gifting. And if you're not sure what your gifting is, why don't you just try serving in an area of ministry and just see if you like it. Try it for three weeks. See if you like it. If you like it, stay there. If you don't, try another one. It's okay to experiment to discover who you are. I didn't know that I had a gift of the Word until I was 24 years of age. In fact, the first time I publicly spoke, I was 16 years of age. I had to read 1 Corinthians 13 at a church. And all my friends were laughing at me and I went red and I got embarrassed and I stumbled my way through. And as I got off stage, I said to myself, I will never do that again. And I never got on stage again until I was 22 years of age. And then when I was 22 years of age, somebody asked me to come up and just, I had told a story about what God had done in my life while we were sitting down. They said, Peter, why don't you just come up and tell that story? And I couldn't believe the impact it had on the whole church. I was shocked. I just told my story and it just had impact. And he said, you know you have a gift of communication, don't you? And I said, no, I don't. I said, I'm really bad at that. I get scared when I stand in front of people. I get very intimidated. He said, he said but the gift is there. He said, you need to get over yourself. <laughs> and you know what? There's a whole group of us in the room who just need to get over ourselves and let the gift of God flourish. See, God doesn't take necessarily the clever people. He doesn't necessarily take the most qualified people. He takes the available and the humble. That's what he uses. In fact, Paul goes even further in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, God chooses the things that this world despises, the things that are nothing. And he uses the things that are nothing to bring to nothing the things that are. And he said, the wisdom of God is like that. There is no one person in this room who is unqualified from being used by God. If your heart is towards Him and you're willing. Let me read you these final words of Paul. It says this, cultivate these things, immerse yourself in them. Ministry needs to be cultivated. Relationships have to be cultivated. Investing in others, you've got to cultivate it and you've got to immerse yourself in it. Come on, you have to give priority to this stuff. The people will see you mature right before their eyes. Keep a firm grasp on both your character and your teaching. Don't be diverted. Just keep at it. Both you and those who hear you will experience salvation. And that's the beauty. Salvation is meant to be experienced every single day. We're meant to be delivered from a corrupt way of thinking. We're meant to be delivered from a corrupt way of living. Salvation should work in your life every single day. And as you let the Holy Spirit shape you and take you into your destiny, you know what? You're going to find a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment. I prayed a prayer 20 years ago. Here was the prayer I prayed. I read these words by Paul. I have finished the race. I've run the race. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. 
I said, Lord, let me say those words by the time I get to the end. I want to be able to say those words. I want to be able to say, I ran the race. I kept the faith. And I'm still on that journey. But that's the cry of my heart to God. God, don't let me get in the way of me and what you want to do in me. (laughs) But let me be somebody who gives room for your spirit to work in me. You know, the Holy Spirit spoke to me one day and said, you know, there were two other men I called into the ministry that you have. And they both said, no. You're my third choice. (laughs) I was feeling a bit upset with that. Third choice? He said, I just want you to remind you, David was my second choice. How many of you know that a a third choice can end up being a first choice? If your heart responds in humility. Here's a quote from T.D. Jakes. I'll finish with this. T.D. Jakes. One of the things about my ministry is that I've never branded myself as being above the people or superior to people. I love that. Friends, I am among you as one who serves. You are a great church. You're a fantastic group of people. You have a great future. If, if you hear things that upset you, don't carry it. Don't carry it in your heart alone. Talk to people who could help you and clarify and give you a narrative perhaps that is bigger than the one you've heard. Let yourself be somebody who continues to do what Paul said to Timothy here. And I believe God's kingdom will come and his will will be done in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. 